Feliz Navidad, Bethel Church. Oh, I heard somebody started singing it. Prospero año y felicidad. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, Bethel Church. I'm very excited to be here. I'm bringing you the word this morning. Um, don't you hate this thing? Man, I... I um, the first service I started speaking, and uh, after my first, uh, after I read the word, I realized I had it on. So uh, I can't wait. Like uh, Denise uh, said, we can't wait for this year to be over. Uh, but we praise God for His word and that He has been constant with us. He has been our strength, our hope, uh, and our shield during this uh, entire year. And uh, so, um, like Pastor said, my, my name is Daniel Saez, and I'm, I'm, I'm here in the, as a leading, as a pioneer of the Spanish ministry here in, in Bethel Church, and hopefully uh, help our church position it, position it as a, an influential, influential and God-willing, uh, sizable influ, uh, gospel-centered community in the Hispanic population of Northwest Indiana. So if you brought your Bibles or in your devices, you can follow along, along the reading of God's Word in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 14 this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I hear some, the sound of Bibles flipping, that's exciting. It's, I almost thought that you couldn't hear that anymore in church. So, praise God. God's Word says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was, not, was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This is God's Word. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, 
we ask a special blessing as we worship you through your word. Father, I pray that you would awaken faith in us, um, especially on those who have not yet believed in you as their Lord and their Savior. I pray, Father, that our hearts may be moved towards these beautiful truths of the gospel and that you will shine bright, high and lifted up, and that uh, we will all be drawn to yourself, to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that um, as we do that, your Holy Spirit may touch our hearts. Bring hope, bring encouragement and comfort to anyone who needs it in this morning. And we pray this because we trust in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you drive towards southwest Michigan from here from northwest Indiana, you will uh, come across a billboard uh, for among the many other billboards that are around that area. You will see that there's a, a billboard for Bronner's Christmas Wonderland. Have you ever seen that? Bronner's Christmas Wonderland. Um, and uh, it's a retail store in Frankenmuth, Michigan, that promotes itself as the world's largest Christmas store. Anybody ever been there? Nobody. First service, we had a couple of takers. It's a fascinating, beautiful store. Uh, it's all about Christmas, and it's open 365 days of the year, I believe. And it's, it's um, let me just give you a few uh, uh, details about it that you, you will get an idea of what this, um, this Christmas store is. The building, just the building, is 7.35 acres. It's huge, with a landscape grounds covering over 27 acres. Throughout the store, you can see different, over 350 beautifully decorated Christmas trees that are displayed in the sales room. Bronner's artist, and this, I thought this was probably the coolest thing. Bronner's artist personalized over 100,000 ornaments annually. One of Bronner's ornament artists has personally hand-painted nearly half a million ornaments during her 25 years at Bronner's. That's crazy. Approximately 50% of the glass ornaments are sold at Bronner's are her designs. So decorations and gifts from over 70 nations can be found at Bronner's. So I won't keep going on about this store, but you get the idea. It's, it's a huge and beautiful. And uh, a couple of years ago, my family and I went to this store. It's about 45 minutes from where my uh, wife grew up in Midland, Michigan. And so we, we, I've been there a, few, a couple of times. And so um, it, it, and let me, uh, one day we went with my mother, and she found something that I had not seen. She went down to the lower level uh, where she found something that to us Christians would bring a lot of joy. And right there behind the glass on display you will find a collection of a nativity scenes, of nativity scenes from all over the world. Different nativity scenes from all over the world. And, I mean, have you ever thought about it? We just get a simple description of Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, and maybe a few animals, right? And uh, when we make movies, paintings, uh, even sculptures of what we think 
they look like, they should look like, right? With our own cultural understanding, our own bringing, we, we think baby Jesus should look like this, and this is the way we, uh, things should go. But it's fascinating to see nativity scenes from, let's say, from northern European countries. They have, a, they have certain peculiar way about the, the way they do them. Southern European countries, African countries, European countries. And so they all have their South American countries. I even found one from Ecuador, from where I'm from. And, and they, were, they, they have their own peculiar way. And so, um, for example, I want to show you this picture uh, of a gift that was brought to our family for my, uh, in, in, by a friend of mine named uh, Elias. And it's a... It, the picture is a little dark, but you can see a couple. It's an indigenous uh, family. It's an indigenous Mary and Joseph. And, and some of you, of you might argue that this is not theologically or specifically accurate. But here's uh, the indigenous Christians trying to portray in their own way, because they haven't seen a picture of, of, of what Joseph, Mary, and maybe Jesus should look like. And so they, they put their hats on, the, the hats that they should look like, and they, baby Jesus is wearing a little hat to, for the cold in the Andes Mountains. And so, and there is, there is uh, uh, a little cow and a donkey. And so, that's, that's nativity scenes are fascinating to me because they, they, they vary from place to place. And so, and, and, and the way they are, they are put together, uh, and, and I mean, I've seen even here a lot of inflatables lately, you know, and so it's it's whatever whatever your culture is 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 pushing at that time, but what would you we read here in a Christmas uh, story? We have this um, this story told to us about Jesus becoming flesh, coming into this world, and but I wonder what would it look like for a Christmas story. Uh, to be told to us where there is no stable, no mention of stable, no mention of a manger or Joseph or Mary or Bethlehem, no shepherds, no angel, no star, no wise men, no baby. What kind of Christmas story would that be? It would be John's account of the Christmas story. It's what we read just now, 14 verses, and we see... Again, no Joseph, no Mary, no baby, no stables, no shepherds, no wise men, no angels. But if you say, that, oh, well, that's not the Christmas story. Um, you can't tell a story without those, those elements. Well, you're wrong because that's exactly what John does here. One line from the text that it reads, it stands out. And I want us to look out at that line. It is the last verse or in, in the last part in, in verse 14. And here's the story. Four words in the English, four words in the Greek. It says, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So to unpack, unpack this, uh, this verse that we're going to uh, be studying this morning, First of all, let's just focus on this, on this verse. First of all, it says, and the Word became flesh. Who is this Word, we wonder? And for that, we have to, John, to jump into verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. So we can make a few observations about this word and who is this word according to verses 1 of this chapter. And it says, the word was since the beginning. In other words, as far as back in eternity as we can possibly imagine we could go, there was the word. There was Jesus. It was the word since the beginning. Not only that, but the word was with God. And this word was God. Amen? This word was God. All things, now all things were made through him. But also the word is not made. Because it says without him, not anything that was made. Without him was not anything that was made. And so he himself, the word, is not made. And so we can conclude that the Father always has had a perfect image of himself. And this is partly where we get our doctrine of the Trinity. The word was God, and the word became flesh. And if the word was God and the word became flesh, then God became flesh. God became human. Jesus Christ was human. And Jesus Christ was God. He became human without ceasing to be God. That is the point of this text. And it is the best news in all the world for sinners like you and I. In this story, there is a supernatural reality. And bear with me while we do a little bit of, of, of theology and then we'll move into application uh, pretty soon. But... If we, there's a supernatural re reality going on here that John explains for us that is critical to understand because it's non-negotiable reality that we celebrate at this time of the year. It is unchanging. It is, and, and this truth is that the eternal, the infinite, transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, everlasting, unchanging, eternal God of the universe became a human being. That is the message of Christmas. Emmanuel, God, which means God is with us. Don't miss that reality this Christmas season. That is the essential truth of Christianity and perhaps the most essential truth of all truth because it is the only truth that can save a sinner from eternal hell. Amen? John writes his gospel to get that truth across so that we would understand that Jesus is God in human flesh. The God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, took on, clothed himself in human flesh so that sinners like you and I today can have the hope of eternal life. Now, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word for dwelt is the word for set up a tent in the Greek. There's been many civilizations throughout the world, uh, throughout the history, that are uh, nomads. That means that they, they move from one um, place they, they, to another uh, throughout their, their, their lives, and it's part of their culture to do that. And usually, years uh, 
centuries ago that we do that because of the seasons, uh, agriculture, and so on. But there's a community that, that I, growing up, I used to see them a lot, and they were the gypsies. Uh, they would come into our town once in a while, passing by, and so we would say, hey, the gypsies are in town. And we would go and see their big tents, and they would, they would, uh, they would stay there. We knew that they were temporary. They would hang out, they would live there, they would stay in town. Um, the authorities would give them a park or of some kind where they could, they could live and, and for a few months. And then we knew that they were temporary and they would leave. And there's all these, these gypsies uh, tribes are all over South America and they still, even to this day, they, they carry out these traditions. Uh, but this tent, this tent, this dwelling um, is not what this type of, of, of temporary tent is not what this text is talking about. Uh, I used to think that um, uh, that's what this text implied, that, that it was a tent and therefore it was only temporary, uh, that Jesus came for 33 years and then he left and then we're, we're left on our own. But that's not what uh, the text means. That's not what the text is saying. He came to earth um, and uh, and camp for a little while, and then he left. No, but when we, I, when I look up at places in the word that occur, this word dwell appears in the New Testament, I found that it doesn't imply temporary status; that it's a temporary dwelling. It simply means residence. And in the context of the Old Testament, it means that they, they, there is the de- the residence, the way the Israelites would reside in the wilderness, and. But it is fascinating that in Revelation 21, 3, where the eternal new heavens and new earth are described, it says, behold, the dwelling tent of God is with men. This is, this is after sin is gone. This is, this is the new heavens and new earth. He will dwell, dwell, pitch his tent, with them, and they shall be his people. What pitching a tent implies to us is that God wants us to be on familiar terms with us. He wants to be close. He wants a lot of interaction. If you come into our neighborhood, into a neighborhood perhaps, and build a huge palace with a wall around it, it says a lot about your desire to hang out with your neighbors. I don't want to see you. I don't want you looking into my place. I don't want you looking into my place. And so if you build a huge uh, wall around it, uh, it's not going to you're not going to come across as friendly. But if you pitch a tent, let's say, in my backyard, you'll probably be using my bathroom and eating out of my table because we'll become friends after all if I let you stay in my backyard. Uh, In other words, there's a bigger chance uh, for us to become close. And so um, let me see if I can uh, explain this in a a, a personal uh, story. When I was little, I, my dad used to take us camping a lot. And so we would go camping and, uh, in the Andes Mountains. It was, it was a lot of fun for us. And it was, it was just a, a fun time with, with, my, with my parents, uh, particularly my dad. Usually is, my mom would stay home. She didn't like sleeping outside very much. And so my dad would take us camping. And then, so there was this time we, we, had, we were anticipating this camping trip. And I was, I was so excited. And so uh, after, the plan was this. After church, we would go, to, uh, we would go camping. And so my dad was a pastor. 
And, uh, and uh, if you grew up in a pastoral family or close to, or you know about pastoral families, uh, there are certain times when uh, duty calls. And the pastor sometimes, with a lot of pain in his heart, has to say some of the family plans have to wait, have to be postponed for a little bit. And so what happened is that somebody had died in the congregation. Uh, my dad had to do uh, the funeral. He had to be there. And in, in, in this culture, we were in, in an indigenous uh, church. And so for them, it was very important that they have these, these two days of, of mourning and they, they eat food and they hang out. And so uh, they want their pastor to be there day and night. And hopefully they'll have a room for him to stay because they want the pastor to stay with them and mourn with them and weep with them. And so it is it's very intimate. And so my dad could not say no and say, well, sorry, peace out, I'm leaving. Got a camping trip with my kids. So um, we knew can, um, camping trip has been canceled. And so my mom, as, he tell, as she tells me this story, uh, she says, I was expectant. I knew your dad was the best dad in the world, so I, I was expecting to see what he was going to do. And so, you know, during that time as I was growing up, uh, the eye tents were uh, beginning to come out. And so these eye tents didn't need to be pitched uh, in the ground. Uh, they, did, they just stood on their own. And so these tents, so we had that tent. And so my dad, when he came back uh, from the, the service, he came and started setting up the tent. And we camped in our living room. We moved the couches and all the chairs around. And it's probably one of the best memories I have as a child of this camping trip in our living room. My mom still went and slept on her bed. Um, but we, we, we camped. And it was, it was, and let me ask you this. It, was it about being out there in the cold in the mountains? Yeah, a little bit. But mostly, mostly, the main thing was that we got to spend time with dad. He was just for us, and he was close. And in fact, he slept next to us, and we, we, we would stay all in the same tent, and it was so cool. And it was about being intimate, being close, that we had his undivided attention for the entire trip. And that's what this tent, this, the truth of God coming with us and dwelling with us implies, is that intimacy, that closeness, that, that God, instead of waiting for us to get better, to fix our own human problems, for us to wait for us, to, for, for us to come up with a solution, he takes the initiative and he says, I'm going to get close to your mess. I'm going to get close to, to your, your reality. I'm going to get close to your anxiety, your confusion, your stress, your uncertainty, your hopelessness, your own, the evil of your own heart. I'm not scared. I'm getting close and I'm going, I'm going to come to you. And so God sent his son from Galilee to Jerusalem, not just from a manger to the cross, but all the way from heaven to earth. And this is a quote from uh, Timothy George. And he says, the implication of this text can hardly be grasped in human language. In sending Jesus, God did not send a substitute or a surrogate. He came himself. Because think about it. If he was just trying to make you better, and this is, as Pastor Steve was telling the story, I, remember, I, 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 I began remembering one of the things that I had to understand is that God, if God wanted, this, is a, this was a profound truth for me, because I had to understand if God just wanted me to be better and get my act together and become a better Christian, he didn't, the incarnation didn't need to happen. 
He didn't need to die. And that is why Jesus came, so that nails could go through his hands, so that nails could go through his feet, so that they could put a crown of thorns on his head, so that he could die and be raised back to life. That's why he needed to be incarnate, become a human being, so that he could die for me. So that I, when I, ha- when, when he, when I believe in him, I stand with him, perfect, holy, blameless, as one of his own children. And so the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We, notice, we beheld, we have seen his glory. Who does this refer to? It refers to the word. The word became flesh and we beheld his glory and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus, in Jesus, we behold the glory of God. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, whose glory? The glory of the Word, the Word who is God. And what sort of glory is it? Is it the glory as of the only Son from the Father? When John says that the glory of God incarnate's Word is the glory as of the only Son from the Father, Does the word mean that it's an imitation glory as of the only Son from the Father? Does that mean that it's only imitation glory? Not at all. It's not the the real glory of the Son, but is it only the glory of the Son? I don't think so. If you say to me, if I say to you, for example, I have a book to give away, and I would like to give it to you as my first choice. Does that mean you're not really my first choice? You're just as my first choice. No, I'm giving it to you because you are my first choice. That's what Jesus, what, what John is saying here. This is really the glory of God in Jesus. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Son of God. We know this because, again, in the first part of verse 14, just simply and straightforwardly says. We have seen His glory. No qualification. Whose glory? The glory of the eternal Word, the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen His glory. So there's no diminishing of the wonder of God in the incarnation. The Word became flesh and He did so without ceasing to be God. He manifests God's glory. And that is astonishing. You Think about it. If you have seen Jesus... You have seen God's glory. What glory? It can be, what is glory? Glory can be defined as a transcendence beauty, a transcendent radiance. If you behold Jesus, you see divine transcendence beauty and the radiance of God. You might ask, but we, are, we, are in, we weren't there to see him. How can we see the glory of Jesus? This, is, this happened 2,000 years ago. Well, you might think you're at a disadvantage, but let me point you to two passages of Scripture. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world, that is Satan the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that's the glory of the Son, the glory of the Word that 
Christ, who is the Son of God, the Word, and is called the light of the gospel of the glory. So the point here is that, the, is that in the gospel, in the Christ event, in the narrated events of the doings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the words of Jesus, these narrated events that we call the gospel, we see the glory of God. You don't have to be there in order to see it. In fact, when Jesus is praying in John 17, 20, he says, I do not pray, pray only for those who see me, who are here, my witnesses, but I also pray for Daniel Saez and also for the Cedar Lake congregation who are worshiping 2,000 years later. And this is Jesus praying 2,000 years ago. He's praying for us who will believe in me, Jesus says, through their word. So it is through the word that John expects us to see the glory of God. Jesus inspired John to write this letter in order that by the gospel we might see the glory of God. In fact, I would argue that we are not at a disadvantage compared to the eyewitnesses, to the people that were there. I think we're not. And possibly we may be at an advantage. And let me tell you, let me, let me, let me tell you why. Who were the eyewitnesses? Judas. He was there. He physically saw Jesus, but he didn't see any glory. The Pharisees, they saw Lazarus come to life after four days of being dead. And he came to life. And what did the religious and political leaders of his days did? If you read it at the bottom at the conclusion of that story in, 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 in the Gospel of John, they plot to kill him. What did the crowds did? They said, crucify him, crucify him. So they were there. They physically saw him, but they could not see that divine transcendent beauty that we can see in the whole story. So because we don't have a disadvantage, we have a, the blessing to see the whole story of the gospel laid out for us in this inspired book, the Bible, the Word of God. We can see it, and it's vastly more full and beautiful and rich that, that we could, if we, were, if we were there. So we don't have any disadvantage in seeing the glory of God. All we have to do is read the gospel of John and the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and, and, and Romans and Corinthians and all the wonderful books that talk about the glory of Jesus. And we can see that glory. We can experience, we can see that glory. And this glory is the measure of all truth because it is this glory. What do we see in this glory? It's full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. We see reality. We see true truth. No fake news. True truth. This glory is the measure of all truth. Do you want to know what is true? Bring anything in the light of the glory of God and you'll see for what it really is. Everything about science, physics, biology about art, about history, anthropology, about relationships, about marriage, about raising children, having a newborn, anything. Bring it into the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 
you will see its proper value, its proper place, and you will you will see you will see its truth. And wonder of wonders within this reality, God's heart is gracious to us. So what is Christmas? Christmas is the Word of God. Christmas is the Word of God that became the God-man. He came near and He dwelt among us. He reveals His divine glory for us to see in the gospel. And what we see is that this glory gives truth to the ignorant, to the deceived, to the blind, and it gives the best of all grace to the guilty. Because that's what grace means. It gives grace to the guilty. And I suppose, and in this, as Christians, we know when we hear the word grace, we're just not looking at a baby in a manger. We're seeing a Savior hanging on a cross. And we're seeing three days after that, as we sang too, we see Him being raised to life in the third day. And so, and that is why it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I suppose to those of us who perhaps feel at this Christmas time or maybe another time of the year sinful and guilty before God to know that He came to reveal glory, that glory is the truth of all things. And the heart of that truth is that gracious disposition towards us that has got to be the best news in all the world. So what does that mean for us? I want to draw two implications for us. First of all, God says He will come to us. He always comes. Nobody has brought himself or herself to God, to, and to the feet of Jesus. Nobody can say, well, you know, I just felt bad and went to church and brought myself to the Lord and awakened my heart and I was born again. No, it happens because of the Holy Spirit, God, bringing you to believe in Him, allowing you to see that beauty, that divine transcendence in the glory of God in the gospel. And so, it's like when Zacchaeus was told that Jesus was coming to dinner. And he said, fire up the grill. I'm coming for dinner. I'm coming to your house. See, Jesus didn't expect this. He was not waiting for people to come to him. He would go. He was, he was in, in fact, in fact, Jesus Christ constantly was accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd. But we are the wrong crowd. Us human beings, us here, we are the wrong crowd because how can we, how can, how can the, we are the, a wrong crowd for God, for a holy God to be dwelling with? Because remember, He didn't just come for a time, He came to dwell with us. But because God sent His Son to die, He gave us hope. And He was able to, He died to make sinners who believe in Him pure and holy like Him. But to all who believe, who all to but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this is not a touchy-feely God, but it is the almighty, powerful God coming down to us, not a stoic, not, but tender, loving, 
being able to empathize with us as one of us. And that's why He has placed in Scripture passages, entire psalms for us to lament in our suffering, in our struggles, in our depression, in our anxiety, in our fear, in our, in our, in our loss. Those psalms are there. The majority, the great majority of our psalms are there for us to weep with the Lord. Not to just say, Lord, I'm out of this, but to tell Him and to let, pour out our hearts to Him in prayer through those psalms. He is not far from us, but close. And so He can walk with us into the shadow of the valley of death. And so that is one truth that we can take this, this in this time, is that God came to stay with us, to be with us. He came close. And that gives us a second implication for us. For us Christians, for us who believe, it is that He also sends us in incarnational ministry. He sends His church to dwell with the wrong crowd. Not because, not for us to become of the world, to be the world, but to, we're not of it, but we're in the world. And so, I have a New Year's resolution for you. Go out and dwell with sinners. Go beyond, go beyond that you're hanging out with, and this is COVID notwithstanding, I'm sorry. But we have to be known as a people that hang, that hang out, not just with our families and our extended families and our cousins and our, and our friends and those people who are nice to us. But we have to be able to, to go across and make friends with others. See, during this time, in early in, in, in the pandemic, in April, I lost my father. And let me tell you who cared for me and who did I become friends with. They were my neighbors right across the street, the Mexican family. They discovered one day that I came to, I, I approached, my wife and I were coming back from church one day, and we came to say hi, and they were like, hi, my name is Jesse. So I was like, hey, let's make friends. And so we made friends, and they, they, they cared for us. We, we, we became such good friends. And throughout the pandemic, there were, you know, food that came, tacos and enchiladas that came from one to the other side. And, and so that's, that's what God is sending us out to as a church, as a community, is to go out. That is the great commission, is to go across, to cross the street, to go across uh, 30, to go across 231, to go across 80, 90. Here is, you, you know what I'm talking about, the map, those lines that, are almost, that, that almost nobody crosses in this area. God wants us to cross. And so, because that is the great commission. Go. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Don't wait don't look, don't just stay and wait for them. Model for them what it's like to go for someone who is different like you in order to save us. Imitate the Apostle Paul in being all things to all people. And I'm telling you, it will be hard. It will be difficult. You will be tempted to be afraid, to think too much, of it, to, to be a little too self-conscious. And what if I say the wrong thing? What if I mess up? What if I end up... You know, we have a Chinese congregation. And so, Pastor Tim Chen, I, I, I became friends with him because of, he's on a pastoral team. And so, I 
invited him to dinner one day. And uh, on a Sunday afternoon, he came with his wife, Daphne. And so my wife and I like cooking, and we, we enjoy cooking and trying foods from all over the world. And so we're like, oh, my goodness, we have a Chinese couple coming to us. What can we do to make them feel at home, feel them well, welcome? And Amy had been learning to make fortune cookies. Some of you know where this is going. <laughs> and so, I mean, it wouldn't be wonderful. We made fortune cookies and we put encouraging Bible verses in them because he's just launching his congregation. And so it's just going to be cool for him and Daphne to have, uh, you know, just a fun little cultural thing that we can do for them. And so we, we, we did. And so we were just sitting down to eat and talking about Chinese culture. And so, yeah, they're Taiwanese. They were not, they're not Chinese. First tank. Secondly, they're talking, yeah, you know, they think, you know, we're all Chinese, but no, we're actually Taiwanese. And, and, uh, and the other thing is, you know, they, 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 they think, you know, fortune cookie is, is Chinese, but fortune cookie is American. <laughs> oh, no. So we went anyways, and we, Amy, at, at the end of our dinner, gave them the fortune cookies with the Bible verses on it, and uh, Daphne was touched. And he says, I'm so touched. Thank you so much. And I'm so, I said, I'm sorry. We're trying to express our, our, our love to you, our, 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 our appreciation for you and your culture. And so on. we tanked. And that's what happens. But believe me, it, you will make mistakes. Some are not going to be so bad like that one. Some might be you come across as offensive, you'll bet it, but you have to go across. You have to do it. And you have to be willing to learn from them because you will. And so remember, when, if you're afraid, nothing is going to come out of it. Remember there's a Holy Spirit working in their hearts. Remember that the glory of the gospel is not about you. It's about the glory of Jesus. So this is not about you. So if you look bad, it doesn't matter so much. Okay? You have to point them to Jesus. It's about Jesus. You don't need to look good. It will be hard. And you'll find even some, some of your own thoughts tempted to think that you're better than them, that your culture is superior, and it, it's, it's, it, that your language is superior. It's happened to me. I was like, oh, South American uh, Spanish is better than, than, than other Spanish. And we were like, no, South American is, is no good. And so all these things are going to happen to you. And I, I, I give you that New Year's resolution. Go. Go across and reach out to uh, a lost world. Because God, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. He became human so that nails could go through Him, so that He could die. And that is why we have hope today. That is why we get to celebrate Christmas. That is why we can say this is about grace, because he died for us. So next Christmas, make it a John 1 kind of Christmas. Put a tent in your nativity scene. Amen.